a blessing it is to be in the house of the Lord with God's dear people. I like South Dakota. I really do. It's been an interesting place. It's the first time for me, but I like it. You know, this thing's weird. Um, I, I'm used to lapel, Michael. That's what I'm used to. But I'm trying something new. And I've even taken a picture of myself to send it to my church so that they can know that, yeah, I, I, can, I can upgrade in some things. But we're going to stick with the old black book. Amen? First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1. I was born May the 5th, 1954, eons and eons ago, back in the days where no one had any kind of fun. And I was born. I grew up in the 60s. My daddy was a, was a slobbering drunk. He didn't drink beer. He didn't drink wine. Uh, he drank uh, just out-of-the-bottle liquor. And he was a slobbering drunk. He wasn't mean, but he wasn't worth much as a spouse nor as a dad. I had uh, four sisters. I was the only boy. I never could understand why I was the only boy. But I had four sisters. My mother was, uh, was grossly overweight. My daddy was uh, uh, alcoholic. Um, we had some interesting times when I was growing up. And my mother got her heart right with the Lord. She had gotten married at 16. And uh, she had gotten right with the Lord and trying to go to church and take her little family, but my daddy wouldn't have anything to do with it. And then one day, the preacher came over to my home, and uh, my dad was there, and he was half-tanked with liquor. And uh, the home was always in turmoil. Uh, my mother would have liked to have divorced my dad, but my dad, they couldn't afford it back in those days. You had to have a real reason to get a divorce. And, um, and they just couldn't afford the money to make that happen. Thank you, Jesus. And um, anyway, uh, the preacher came over, and my mother was gone. She was working because of my dad's situation and taking care of us kids. And the preacher came in and met my dad and asked my dad if he were to die, where would he spend eternity? And um, my oldest sister uh, came up about that time to uh, the preacher and my dad and said, Daddy, where's your bottle? And uh, he said, oh, oh, oh you, just, you run along. He said, you know your whiskey bottle, Daddy, right there in front of the preacher. And the preacher said, Paula, you run on. And there, my life changed. He got saved. Salvation changes things. He started going to church. <laughs> my mother didn't believe it. She didn't think God could change somebody like that. He started going to church. My mother said, no, I'm not going today. And, uh, and he started going to church, taking the family. And uh, she'd sneak in to see if he was really at church. He was really at church. He put down the old bottle. I've changed. Started going to church. Amen. Amen. About 13, he died. And um, when he died, of course, I wasn't saved. But, uh, and I was having... Uh, teenage problems all teenagers have problems okay I was having teenage problems and about 15 uh, it was getting to the place my mother just didn't know what to do she said you're going to church and I said I'm not going to church at 15 I could I could, I, could, I, could, I could just it didn't matter what my mother did to me she would she'd get out of hand she'd start slapping on me hitting on me punching on me spitting at me uh, grabbed a butcher knife, chasing me around the house, going to kill me. Uh, just whatever, you know, that's the way my mother was raised, see? And so the way she was raised, uh, she was doing the same thing to me. I, I, I'm sure I deserved all that. Uh, but, but I said, I'm not going to church. And she grabbed for me, and I slipped out the house. And there's a big tree right, right out in front of my house. So man, I climbed that tree. Well, I skinnied right up that tree, and uh, she didn't know. She thought I'd just run off. So she called the preacher. Preacher came to my house and he says, Nancy, you don't get a hold of that boy. He's going he's gonna to end up going to prison. Well, that didn't comfort my mother not one bit. She started weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. He said, or he'll become a preacher. <laughs> and uh, he left. I heard it all. I heard him praying over my mother. For her wayward son, heard him praying over me, and there's a God in heaven 
It listens to prayers. So I came down from the tree because uh, uh, I like sleeping in the house rather than in a bird nest. And uh, I went to church the next night. And the preacher preached a message that stirred my heart. From the pew, I stood up and I went forward. Nobody told me to do anything. The church was packed out. Church probably had 500 people. Church was packed out. I went forward. I met the preacher at the, the altar, and I said, I, I, I think I need to be saved. He said, Timmy, you're having teenage problems. Like I said, all teenagers got teenage problems. And he handed me over to the youth director. And I said, Brother Larry, I need to be saved. He said, Timmy, you've got problems, teenage problems. I'm sure my mother was talking to him. And uh, he turned me over to the song leader. And I said, I, I, I need to be saved. And Brother Harold Parnell said, Timmy, you got teenage problems. And I said, Brother Parnell, if you don't show me how to get saved, I'm just going to save myself. Now, theologically, that's, Ill, that's not correct. But I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't matter what, you, what your mouth says. God saw, saw the heart. You know, at the moment I was saved was not the moment I prayed the sinner's prayer. The moment I was saved was the moment I stood up and said, I'll take Jesus. And then the rest was the result of what I had decided from that pew. But I'm going to tell you something. There's a God in heaven. So uh, we went through our teen years, and, and my dad had been, was, was dead, and uh, things were, uh, we, we did well. We got saved, and life had changed for me. I got called to preach at uh, 16, and, and at 17... I don't like that 17th year. Any 17-year-olds here? I don't sing happy birthday to 70-year-olds. I don't. I sing when they're 16. I sing when they're 18. We throw a party when they're still living for Jesus at 18. 17 is a critical year. I have noticed that in the ministry. 17 is the year that most of my, my young folks, if they're going to fall out, fall away from God, it's going to be in their 17th year. Okay? Uh, it's a hard year for young people. And so when they turn 18, they're still serving God. Well, we throw a party. We have a great time. I was fixing to turn 17. I had gotten a job. What 16-year-old needs a job? That take him out of church. And so I got a job. Took me out of church. But I took a stand. I said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in church on Wednesday nights and Sundays. And they agreed to it. McDonald's, they agreed to it. Then before long, after I started making some money, they said, we need you on Wednesday nights. And I thought, well, Sundays is fine then. I'll just be in church on Sundays. All right, so they started scheduling me on Wednesday nights, and then before long, they started scheduling me on Sunday mornings. And I thought, well, at least I'm there on Sunday nights. I get to go one time a week. I'm there on Sunday nights. And would you believe it? Before long, they had a split uh, where they, they scheduled me for Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, and there was zero involvement with my church and zero involvement with the youth department and then before long um, I started being tempted to do things that uh, I knew was wrong but I just didn't sense that conviction because I wasn't where the man was thundering the word of God and the word of God was convicting my heart and I was becoming cold and callous toward the promptings of the Holy Spirit and so there there was so my cousin came home from Vietnam. He was a, a gunner in a, a helicopter in Vietnam. And he started talking about how much fun it was to kill gooks. Gooks, is that what they were? Viet, Viet Cong. How much fun it was. That sounded fun to me. You know, I didn't realize they shoot back. So I joined the Army. I quit high school, joined the Army. I just barely turned 17. My recruiter called me up at, when I turned 17. And saying happy birthday to me, and just a few days later, I, I quit high school. My mother signed the papers. I went into the Army. I volunteered eight times to go to Vietnam. I joined the Army Airborne. They told me they weren't going to send me to Vietnam because they were pulling out of Vietnam about that time, uh, and that I was 82nd Airborne, and, and which meant uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, uh, be sent unless the whole division was sent. So uh, I was part of the 82nd Airborne. And uh, uh, every time I jumped out of a plane, I was right with God, by the way. I confessed every sin I, I, I could confess. 
I mean, here we go, Lord. Jumped out. And then I got, became consistent. I got involved in an uh, independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, Christ-exalting, Big B Baptist church. And then I, after that, I went to a, a Bible college. And after that, I found my college sweetheart and married her. And after that, I became a youth director in Dale City, Oklahoma, suburb of Oklahoma City. And after that, I became pastor of the Philadelphia Baptist Church uh, for five and a half years, one of the, uh, the bright spots of my life. And then after that, I went to a place called Beeville, Texas. I wasn't seeking to leave Philadelphia Baptist Church. I could have lived there the rest of my life. I just don't have this idea that you just go from place to place. You see, the average preacher, when he goes to a place, uh, everybody's just excited to give him and, and boy, they're patting him on the back and giving him a pie and said, boy, we're glad you're our pastor. And about a year later, when you start, uh, you know, shelling some corn and preaching some things, uh, the pies and the pats don't come as frequently. And then about two years into it, uh, you're wondering if your ministry is being accepted because you hadn't had pies and pats in a long time. So now you're looking for another ministry, thinking so you need to go someplace, and it seems a reasonable thought, you need to go someplace that the people appreciate you and listen to you and will, will do the things of God. So you go to another place, and here comes the pies and the pats. Boy, they give you pies, they pat you on the back, and we're so glad you're our preacher. And about a year later, the pies and the pats, they start slowing down. And about two years into it, you think, man, I need to go someplace else uh, where my ministry is effective. And so you resign, and you go to that third church, and that fourth church. When's it going to stop? When are you going to just find the will of God and just do it? When are you going to find the will of God and plant your blessed assurance and say, uh, hell or high water, doesn't make any difference. This is where God's planted me, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our life. This is my call from God. But you know what? Sometimes in pies and the pats, they, boy, they mean a lot. But that's not God's calling. And whether you're called to go into some difficult situations or some blessed situations, it doesn't matter. If it's the will of God, it's the will of God. And we've got to think on terms. I'm not here because I've left a problem. I'm here because God has led me. And what, what, people say, what brought you to Beeville? And it was B. Preacher saying that. That's my, are you stupid look? What do you mean, what brought me to Beeville? What do you think brought a man of God to a place called Beeville, Texas? Do you think it's the beautiful mountains like Mount Rushmore? Do you think it's the, 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 the water, the clear, crystal clear water? That, do you think it's the smell of fresh air? I don't think so. What do you think brought me to Beeville? There's a God Almighty. Were you running from a problem from Philadelphia? I was having the time of my life there. It took my wife five years of crying herself to sleep every night remembering the joy that we had at Philadelphia going into a ministry. Now, that we wondered if we was even going to get a paycheck. Not because the people were stingy. This was all they had. We had no injured. It no, didn't matter. If it's God's call, it's God's call and you just do what you got to do. It doesn't matter. This morning... With God's help, I'm going to be preaching to you on the subject of what church is the right kind. But I'm going to tell you right now, it starts with a big B. I mean, if Jesus was baptized by John the Methodist, I think we ought to be Methodist. If God ordained uh, John the Episcopal or John the Luther Lutheran, uh, to, uh, to baptize, then I think that's what we ought to be. But he authorized John, the big B, Baptist. I'm Baptist to the top of my bald head to the bottom of my stinky feet. Baptist through and through. And I have to remind people from time to time, that sign out there says Baptist, and we are what it is, what it says. Beville Baptist Church. What kind of church is the right kind of church? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that you'll help me to say what needs to be said. pray that you'll give us a heart to receive the things of God. I pray, Father, that the areas that we'll touch on, that it'll meet the need of the hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let's look up. Let's look at chapter one, verse one. <clears throat> All right, here we go. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, uh, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, uh, making mention of you in our prayers. I wonder why Paul would say that. We give thanks to God always for you all. Why was he so happy with this church? Glad you ask. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction and with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were examples of all the believers in Macedonia and Archaea. From you sounded out the word of the Lord uh, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had, among, uh, we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Years ago, I heard a song that says, What kind of church would my church be if every member were just like me? How many souls would be saved today if it all depended on what I say? I wonder how many prayers would my Lord have, have to answer if all that he heard came from me? I wonder what kind of a church would my church be if every member were just like me? I've been intimately involved in three different churches. Dale Baptist City, Dale, uh, Dale Baptist Temple, Dale City, Oklahoma, was where I was a youth director for five years. God enabled us to build a great youth department there and win many teens to the Lord. The church had issues. The pastor was a Marine, and he thought you lead God's people uh, the way... Uh, Marine drill sergeants lead Marines. It, it, it doesn't work. Okay, it doesn't work, and, uh, and it didn't work for him. And it was all the examples of what I needed on how not to build a church. Whenever I got into a situation as a pastor, I would say, "Now, how did so and so handle this type of problem?" I won't do it that way. I kid you not. I learned all the things not to do. There. Then I became pastor of the Philadelphia Baptist Church in Philadelphia, Missouri in 1983. For five and a half years, we made great spiritual profit, uh, progress. The church doubled its size. We baptized over 100 people. They learned the joys of faith promise giving. And we sent several young people to Bible college. And all of them are serving the Lord somewhere in the world. And Ivan would be a part of that group as well. The, and, and also Wilma, where she is over there. Um, the church was controlled by three families. We had to contend with three families. Do you know how that we were able to contend with three families? <laughs> we won five families to the Lord and brought them in. <laughs> that's how you contend with three families. Uh, that's, that's the way it is, guys, uh, ladies. We knock doors, get people saved, get them in, get them trained, and uh, then they'll follow the things of the Lord. Now, the, 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 the controlling three families of the church meant that the church could only advance as quickly as these families would allow. Uh, they were all good people, but didn't understand the God-called leadership of the church, which is the pastor. Deacons are not God-called. You hear me? Ladies' meetings are not God-called. There's the God-called man. And that would be the pastor, and he's under the authority of God. Okay? That doesn't mean he can walk on water, but it does mean that, that what we need to do in the pew toward the pastors, Lord, uh, change him or change me. I don't mean change churches. I mean change my heart. 
Show Him. See, the problem is, is people think that, the, that, that you get your way in church by muscling yourself around. Get enough people to vote against Him. That's the way to do it. That's not the way to do it. That is not the way to, uh, to handle God's leadership. You pray down the power from heaven. Things can change, and prayer changes things. Problem is, is independent, fundamental Bible-believing Baptists don't believe in prayer anymore. Oh, we believe in muscling, and we believe in trickery, where you trick people to do things, but we don't believe in just praying that God will speak to their hearts, and God will speak to our hearts, and the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us in all truth. When I passed my God-given test at Philadelphia Baptist Church, the Lord led me to Bevo Baptist Church. Bevo Baptist Church in Bevo, Texas. Bevo Baptist Church was a mature church. It was quite different than uh, Philadelphia Baptist. I could have had Santa Claus at Philadelphia Baptist, and everybody would have rejoiced. Boy, I couldn't even put up a Christmas tree when I went to uh, Bevo Baptist. They were tight as can be on some things. She had a bus ministry, Faith Promise Missions, a soul-winning program, and a desire to reach Beeville, uh, Beeville Texas. Uh, Beeville Baptist Church followed their pastor for many years, visiting pastors, preachers, evangelists, uh, missionaries. Uh, they have told me that we have a very special church. They go in, the people uh, lavish their love on them and, and just listen real well and respond and things of that sort. And people, uh, preachers see that. Now, I'm concerned with this COVID-19. It sure has uh, doing, doing a work on how people greet one another. I am shocked. In my church, we, have, we used to have about 80% of everybody wearing masks. Now it's about 50%. We have live stream. Those that uh, are, are most concerned about it uh, will live stream, and that's okay. I'm glad, I'm glad that technology's evolved. And I become all things to all people. Which means I wear a mask to those that wear a mask, and I take them off to those that. And if someone needs a hug, I'll hug them. If someone needs a handshake, I'll handshake. If someone wants to wave with an elbow, I'll wave with an elbow. And I have learned to do this quite well with a mask on, where you, where you greet people with your eyebrows. <laughs> you know? There's ways friendly churches can stay uh, friendly. Now, our, our church was hostile against all that until COVID hit our area. When their neighbors started dying of COVID, all of a sudden, those that spoke the harshest against it all, all of a sudden started listening. And I told them, I said, it's in the north coming south, it's in the west coming east, it's in the east coming west. I said, eventually it's going to get us. It's going to be all around us. And we're praising God that nobody in our church has been personally affected themselves. But it's all around us. Anyway, how's that going to affect the friendliness of your church? A hearty handshake, pat on the shoulder, all that's important. How's that going to affect? There's ways of telling people you love them without touching them. You know, people can sense and feel a heart without ever, you can stay six feet away from them. Now, that don't make sense to me. If you wear a mask, that's supposed to take care of the problem. Why the six feet? Or if you're six feet, that's supposed to take care of the problem. Why the mask? Yeah, come on. Good. There are many churches mentioned in the Bible. And did you see the affection that the Apostle Paul had toward this church? Could you see that this church was an ideal church, a model church? And you think, boy, I wish my church was like that. Your church is going to be the way you make it, just like your children. Your children grow up to be what you've allowed to come into their lives. Your children are, are, are who you are. And if you say, I don't know really what kind of personality my children are, just watch what kind of friends that they choose to be around. That will tell you something about them. And, and churches become the same way. I've been at my church long enough for 32 years now. I've been there long enough. I can't blame the previous pastor. I can't say, well, we've got this weakness and this weakness because of... No, no, no. Uh, the weaknesses of our church is me. Me. And what we've got to do is quit blaming everybody else for what, what, what's happening under our authority. How did the church at Thessalonica become the right kind of church? 
First of all, in verse 4, it says, knowing your election of God. They knew their election of God. What does that mean? That means they knew that they were saved. And I think a church needs to know that they're saved. If they, 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 they need to understand what salvation is, and they need to understand that it's an eternal salvation. Eternal. Uh, that's a distinction between Baptists and, and the rest. Is we know that one saved, forever saved. God is good. Don't be afraid of that word election. I mean, uh, God cast His vote for you when Jesus died on the cross, and the devil cast His vote for you. You decide the election. You're the Georgia. You decide the election. They knew they were saved. In verse 6, ye became followers of us and the Lord. Folks, we've got to teach that. And it's not one message one time before the people. It's, a, it's a, many messages. We've got a King James only Bible Baptist church. And the reason why we maintain, we don't have to have these uh, special King James conferences coming in and this and that. We don't have to do that. Often they hear from the time that they're small, if you've got the right kind of Bible. I don't call it a version, I call it the Bible, the King James Bible. And so they're constantly hearing that. We have missions emphasis that every Sunday morning we tell, uh, we, we read a missionary letter, we remind the folks of their uh, commitment to the Lord, and, and, and God has been so good. I've been there for 32 years. We don't have a big church, and we don't have a wealthy church. Maybe the average person in the church today makes about $40,000, but I'm telling you, we've, in 32 years, have given over $2 million to missions. Uh, that, that just does something for me. Some old little old church down in South Texas. <laughs> and it, what it proves, and it proves that people are, are giving sacrificially. It's, it's requiring something. It's costing them something so that they can get the ministry to the world from door to door to shore to shore. That's the will of God for every Bible-believing, Bible-practicing church. They were examples in verse 7. You were examples to all that believed. I, we're, we're examples. Whether you're good examples or bad examples, you're an example. In verse 8, from you sounded out the word of the Lord. They were, they were soul winners. Uh, they were mission-minded, mission-hearted. They were servants in verse 9. You turned to God from idols to serve the, the, the living and true God. They were ready for the rapture, verse 10, to wait for, the, for His Son from heaven. You talk about a good church. They were a good church. It is so funny. Through the years, people say, well, you don't understand. Your kids are good. I have to work with mine. I said, yeah. They just popped out good. And they've been good ever since. That is, that is faulty thinking. Your child is what you make them or allow them to be. They don't have to have any terrible twos. It can be tremendous twos. And it can be thrilling threes. And it can be fantastic fours. And it can be fabulous fives. But when they get to be 17, that's a tough year. What I'm trying to tell you now is your church is what you make it. If you think that they need to be a little more friendly, then that needs to be put in more messages more often. And it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. You don't preach one thing one time and expect everybody to say, oh, wow, okay, now my life has changed forever. It doesn't work that way. At least it doesn't for me. It probably does, Brother Yoder, but it doesn't work that way for me. Now, what produces that kind of a church? I'm glad you asked. Chapter 2, look, look, look with me at chapter 2. All right, now just listen carefully. Chapter 2, for yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain, but even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with such contention, 
For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor our uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time, for neither at any time used we flattery words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherished her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, our laboring night and day, because uh, we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses. And God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believed, as ye know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye might walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when you receive the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. I contend the right kind of preaching is necessary to produce the right kind of church. See, if you preach to please, not him, but them, it's the wrong kind of preaching. Let's look at some of those things the Apostle Paul said. Verse 3, for our exhortation was not of deceit, nor in cleanliness, nor in guile. The right, messages, the right messages produce right results. Without deceit, that means be genuine, sincere. You know, that really bothers me. Uh, I've, I've, I've been around long enough, when, especially when I was younger, I'd, I'd hear these uh, pre the preachers using this language that they, uh, that they use amongst themselves in a different language when they stand behind the pulpit. I've heard them tell jokes that's just off-colored. I don't understand that. I don't understand how God can bless a mess. Uh, of a person as he does sometimes. But I do know this, that God honors his word no matter who says it. If, if the, the word of God is used, God honors and blesses his word. But if the vessel is clean and usable, fit for the master's use, well, that's a double blessing. You see, the right kind of preaching involves the right kind of message without deceit, without fraud, without straying from being right with God. The right kind of preaching involves without uncleanness, without physical or moral impurities, to be moral. Sadly, you're going to hear someday if you hadn't already, you graduated with that crowd uh, that was the most likely to succeed, they're usually the first to fail. Pride. Immorality. They think they can get away with a... It, it amazes me how that a person can get into that immorality and still stay behind the pulpit and try to preach the Word of God and maintain a ministry. What is, what, if, if you decide you want to go that immoral route, go the immoral route, but, but leave the pulpit. And, and I have seen preachers uh, imprisoned even today, but through the years, some have committed suicide as a result of their immorality. And, and I have seen that in my 37 years of being a pastor, how that some preachers have, 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 have just hurt their church with their immorality. Where does it start? I mean, does it start seeing something they shouldn't have seen? I'm going to tell you where it starts. It starts with a little step away from God. Maybe it's a, a little less Bible study. 
Maybe it's a little less praying. Maybe it's a little less dependent upon God and more dependent upon my skills and my abilities. You know, some people have the gift of gab and they can stand before a crowd and they can uh, entertain a crowd quite well. And everybody says, oh, what a man of God. Because he made me cry. Because he made me laugh. Oh, what a man of God. No, he's got talent. And lost people have skillfully uh, talents as well. What we need to have is God in our life. And people need to sense it and see it and feel it and know that you have spent time with God. Without uncleanness. Without guile, sneaky, crafty, deceptive. One that's looking for ways of deceiving. I've seen preachers say, we're going to do it this way on a certain night because if we do it this way on a certain night, less people will be here and we'll get our way. That's sneaky. Why don't you just do it the way it needs to be done and just do it? I used to get so sick and tired in Philadelphia where people were more concerned with your constitution and bylaws than with the Word of God. When I went to Beeville, Texas, uh, they asked me some questions and I said, we're going to stick with the Bible. Do you know that the people don't even know what our constitution and bylaws say? I've been here 32 years. Do you know that our trustees, two of, two of the three of them are dead? And the third one don't even know he's a trustee? You say, well now preacher, you're, 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 that, that's, that's pretty bad because legally you could be, yeah I know. You know, after 32 years, about five years ago, we ordained our first deacon. I see in the Bible where they had tens of thousands of members before they got seven. Why do we running 100 people, 150, think we've got to have five deacons? I'm not, I don't have a problem with deacons if they're qualified and certified and and. Picked, selected by the pastor, and approved by the people. I have got no problems at all. Let's do it that Bible way. But I've also seen people, uh, churches that have been ruined and wrecked as a result of people who think they're in charge. And for heaven's sake, I told my deacon, I said, ain't no way under the planet you're going to have anything to do with money. Not one cotton-picking thing are you going to have to do with money. That is a high insult to a deacon because he's the servant. Well, now, let's go take care of some widows that need tending to. The bathroom is out of sorts. Let's get the plunger, deacon. You know the difference between a pastor and a deacon when it comes to plumbing? The pastor is the one that takes the rotor-rooter and pushes it in. And the deacon is the one that takes it and pulls it out. Boy, I learned in Philadelphia when slapping the south end of a northbound hog, don't pick your nose. Right preaching produces and involves right motives. In verse 4 it says, Not as pleasing men, but God. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be uh, the servant of Christ. You've got to decide. What are you going to do? I don't think you ought to be contentious for the sake of being contentious. You know, there's some people that just, just everything they say, they want to fight about it. I don't think the servant of the Lord ought to be that way. I think you ought to be gentle. He ought not be a brawler. But you ought to be able to speak the word of truth. And if we're going to have the right kind of results, we're going to have to have the right kind of preaching, which involves the right methods. Flattery. Is, is speaking good, but thinking bad. It's insincere praise. We see in verses 7, 8, 9, 10, all the way to verse 13, right preaching requires the right manners. The manners. Okay, not manners as in, yes ma'am, no ma'am, but it's the way you act, conduct yourself. In verse 7, that we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherith her ch children. Here's a mother breastfeeding her baby. She's not rough with that baby. She's gentle. And I've seen some idiot dads that think that their baby needs to be men. You're gentle with the baby because a baby is a baby. It doesn't matter if it's male or female. 
I had a fellow who's a preacher of a great church now. He won't have me back because I've, I've, I've told him. See, you're a lousy parent. You are a lousy parent. Well, I just can't stand two-year-olds crying. Two-year-olds are going to cry. You gently, tenderly work with it and work with it, work with it, work with it. Babies are babies. I think the boy ought to be, I mean, he ought to be able to fight. He's only two. You know, I wonder in the brain department if God didn't exclude some human beings with brains. But when we're preaching, God makes that comparison that we're as gentle as a nursing mother with that precious little baby. What you say and do can, can cause that, that, that babe in Christ to, to go away and join the charismatics. Somebody that will love them. They don't understand theology, but they do understand love. And as they mature, then they will start understanding theology and what the Bible says about certain things. But initially, they need to, they need to know that you love them. That's where a lot of pastors make mistakes. They go in and they think, boy, they can just shell the corn and, and clean out house and everything's going to be fine. No, 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 no. You go in as a nursing mother and I promise you the people that you think are the most mature in the faith they're not <laughs> they are not I don't care if they've been saved for 150 years that doesn't make a uh, not a bit of difference I've seen teenagers that are more uh, spiritually mature than people that have been saved for 40 years <laughs> gentle as a mother Number eight, verse eight, it says, so in chapter two, it says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you that uh, not, only, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear to us. A man of God deeply loves his people. If a woman looks at her husband and she says, in sincerity, do you love me? I'm going to tell you who has the problem. It's not her, it's him. You know why he's got the problem? Because she has to ask the question, do you love me? She might ought to be able to say, well, I know we disagree, but I'm, I know that you love me. And that's one thing I know. I know that you love me. And by the way, love, love has a tendency of reaching out and hugging and, and, and kissing. And love has a, a, a affectionate talk and conversation and, 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 and attention given to the one that you love. The church needs to feel loved. I've been in a lot of churches. They don't know if their pastor loves them. Boy, he loves the Bible. He loves to preach. He loves to uh, <laughs> woe and, and gloom upon him. But they don't know if he loves them. I say when you go into the church your first year, you that, don't change anything. Don't, don't even change nothing. Just, just love the people. Let them know that you love them. Your second year, you start looking at ways and things that need to be changed. The third year, you start implementing change. And the fourth year, you better go find you another church. I'll tell you what will happen. They'll say, well, <laughs> I really don't necessarily agree with my pastor, but I know that he loves me and my family. And this is the church to be a part of. The problem is that we independent, fundamental Bible-believing, devil-kicking Baptists, but we know, how to, we know how to fight, but we don't know how to love. Why does the Bible tell the man three times in the Bible, uh, love your wife, love your wife, love your wife, and only tells the woman one time in all the Bible, love her husband? Because the man doesn't get it. And preachers, we need to get it. We need to understand it. Look, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. I'm, I'm here to help. God didn't call me here to hurt. I'm a helper, not a herder. Uh, bear with me. I, this is what God's put on my heart. I, I need to say it. You need to hear it. We need to pray about it. If you approach problems correctly, a lot of times your problems aren't nearly as big as you think they are. I hadn't been pastor too long. Brother Yoder and the family and others came in to our church. And uh, the church that I took over was, was, uh, uh, it was five years ago. They'd been Southern Baptist, and they had had a split. And all the independent-minded, Baptist-minded people left. And so now I had uh, the older crowd that was Southern Baptist thinking, you know, we're uh, deacons and uh, committees control and all those have 
uh, say-so power even over the pastor. And they all have their different compartments for their Sunday school. Well, I came in and I thought, well, okay, um, let's see. I guess I'll take care of the, uh, the adult uh, Sunday school. Oh, no, who wants to listen to the pastor two hours in a row? You know that dumb look? Okay, all right. So I, I yielded because I'm practicing what I just preached to you. I love them that first year. Okay? You go along, get along, cooperate. You love them. Okay? And so uh, after a while, we were sitting there. Uh, Brother Yoder was become my right-hand man. And uh, we were sitting there together on the back pew. And um, he had Sunday school business, and I slipped in. And uh, uh, the, the fellow that was teaching the class, the adult auditorium class, he said, next Sunday, we're going to surprise you with a special speaker. I won't be here, and you'll have a special, you'll have a special teacher. Well, I got happy. I looked at Brother Glenn, and I said, it's you. He said, no. He said, I bet it's you. I said, no. I bet we're both surprised. So the next week, here we are. We come in, we sit down, they have the opening song, they have the announcements, they had that birthday deal, whatever, whatever that meant. And then, then uh, our special speaker stood up as she straightened out her dress. And she stood before the crowd and, and, and she had her little quarterly. That ought, to give, that ought to be a dead ringer right there. Something's not right. Quarterlies. And Brother Glenn looked at me and said, what are you going to do about that? I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. I could dismiss everybody. I could cancel church for the day. I could, I, could, I could say, look, I'm preaching. I'm teaching. I could say, all the men are dismissed. But I sat there until she was done. And my heart was broken because I didn't know what I was going to do. I'd already done a battle with the deacons earlier. Y'all didn't know about that. Probably won't know about it just now. They like to have mixed swimming parties every year. I said, I don't have a problem with that as long as everybody's dressed. Oh, no, no, no. They'll all be in their bathing suits. I said, okay, well, let's, depart- let's separate the men from the ladies. Oh, no, 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 no. We're going to keep them all together. We do this every year. I said, okay, that's fine. You can do it. I said, but uh, if you do do it, uh, that's my resignation. I'm gone. There are certain things that I can't handle. That's one of them I can't handle. I cannot imagine going to a church and lusting after somebody else because of a swimming pool party, and they've got on these, these bathing suits, and you're looking and lusting after somebody's daughter, somebody's wife, somebody else, and, and church becomes one big lust pot. No, no, that's, uh, no, uh-uh, that's not going to happen. And you know, they all looked at one, one old fella. Of course, I was 20, 20-something years old. One old fella looked at another old fella, and he says, well, it doesn't affect me. You know, I'm, I'm now his age. It does too, you filthy liar. You've got to constantly watch your eyes. You've got to constantly uh, clear your thoughts and beg for God's uh, enablement to help you think on pure and sweet and wonderful things. That was a battle that we fought. So, what did we do? I went to see that Sunday school teacher. I thought he was one of the three big, big honchos in the church. I thought, this is it. It was a wonderful uh, couple months here. <laughs> Philadelphia Baptist Church. This is over with. So I went in, sat down, had my Bible, opened it up, and I said, you see here where the Apostle Paul was talking to young Timothy, a pastor, and he said, suffer not that a woman should teach or usurp authority over men. He said, yeah. I said, that means this lady that you had teaching men and women. I said, we can't do that. He said, okay, pastor. He said, I didn't know that that's what it meant, but that won't ever happen again. It never did. And I walked away. I still got a ministry. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. You talk about uh, doing a charismatic dance. I did a charismatic dance and don't even know how to do a charismatic dance. We need to be affectionate, verse 8. We need to be constant constantly laboring in verse 9 
because we should not be chargeable unto any of you. Uh, there are some of you pastors, you've gone through the, I need to quit. Uh, you've gone through the depths of despair with, with issues and battles uh, that you've had with your church members. And uh, you've, 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 you've suffered from it. You've been scarred up with it. Your family's been scarred up with it. Uh, in many cases, uh, preachers will turn tail and run instead of uh, facing the, to standing and withstanding the battle, um, finding themselves faithful. Um, it's, it's easy to run from a problem. It's hard to face the problem. And um, some of you, you've gone through all that. There are some of you pastors that you've never had a church split. I've been one of them. But I've had other issues that have caused night after night of heartache, prayer, wondering how it's going to affect my wife, wondering how it's going to affect my children, wondering about next week. I, you'll never see me with long fingernails because before I preach, this is what I'm doing. And as much as my wife has tried to correct me, it doesn't happen. She taught our kids not to do it, and that's good. But preachers are notorious about buying a lot of Maalocs because too many people in the church are giving them heartburn. Why don't we give them heartburn? Why don't we preach the whole counsel of God the way God intended it? And when lives are changed, and those that refuse to get changed, they'll go home with those sleepless nights. <laughs> and they'll have to make a decision. Either I change and, and be like uh, those God-fearing folks at church, or I go someplace else and join up with another group. But it happens as a result of, of constant laboring. Now, there's other things I could say. I've gone longer than I should have, and I'm so sorry. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, um, I just ask, Lord, that you've shown us some things, helped us to encourage uh, these uh, men and families that are in the fight uh, for the ministry, with the ministry, uh, with the